Good morning. Man, it's great to see you this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View. And um, I think we've got some of the best musicians in captivity. I'll tell you what, man. Jesse, you cannot do that last song before I come to preach. I'm over there bawling my eyes out, man. Is that a powerful song or what? Oh my gosh. The lyrics of that song. Oh, I can't go back to it. It's too good. It's too good. God is good. Amen? He's good. Jesus is amazing. And we've uh, been in a sermon series on joy, finding joy. Do we have any happy people here today? Any happy people? All right. I'm happy. I'm a happy person. I am on my uh, tw 20th day of antibiotics was yesterday. <laughs> so this, this ear infection and sinus infection has finally subsided. So I have found great joy, you know. When, when, when you're sick, you actually find really great appreciation for when you're not sick. I, amen, anybody? Amen. And I'll wake up and I'll be able to breathe. I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, able to think clearly. And man, I tell you what, it's, it's awesome. Well, last week, our youth pastor, Adam Swing, knocked it out of the park. No pun intended. But um, did the uh, first part. Adam's the only one laughing at that joke. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Okay, I'll explain it. Swing, knocked it up. Okay, you know, maybe it'll hit you on the way home. Bad pastor jokes, just chalk it up, right? Bad pastor jokes, I'll bring them, man, every week. But um, no, Adam, just, if you weren't here last weekend, you have to check out the sermon. He just killed it. It was awesome. And um, he talked about um, how we are to look. We look out. And so he talked last week about looking out for, for the evil ones and looking out for all these different things and look up and look forward. So um, go check out that, that sermon and it'll be a blessing for you. Well, we're going to pick up this week right where Adam left off. And um, I hope that as we go through this uh, study in Philippians that, that you're finding joy, that you are, are happy and experience the presence and power of God in our lives. Because what we're finding out is that it's real joy, that lasting joy is only found in relationship with Christ, in relationship with Christ. So um, that's what we're, we're diving into. So if you have your Bibles, open up Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. As you're turning there, I would talk a little bit about kind of where Paul's taking us here. Do we have any runners here today? Anybody jog, go for a run? Anybody here ever do a marathon? Any marathoners here? Marathoners? Okay, awesome. Good for you. There was this time I, um, I tried. I tried to do a marathon one time. And uh, there's a lot of training that goes on to running 26.2 miles, you know? And I'm an avid jogger. I jog, I try to jog every day. And um, I had set this, I have no idea why, but I had set this, um, just I wanted to do a marathon. I wanted to run a marathon. So I downloaded this app for my phone that was going to take me through this training program and get me ready to run 26.2 miles. And so I start the program, and it starts you out around five or six miles, and you do that a while, and, and you do some speed running uh, for me, which is like nine-minute miles. That's not very fast for those of you who don't run. But, um, and then you do some long, slow runs, and, and it's months. I mean, months of training. So, so I had signed up for this marathon, the Air Force Marathon in Dayton, Ohio, at the Air Force Base there. And, 
And uh, so I had months and months of training, and I, I remember I got sick right at the end of my training, right before I was supposed to do that 18-mile run and then that 24-mile run. I just came down with something terrible. And so I missed out on about three or four weeks of my training. And I jumped back into it. I have about a week and a half before the marathon. And so I, I'm going to jump back into my training program, get, that, get it going, and, and see how I do it. I do my last run, and it's 16 miles. And I was supposed to actually get up to like 24 miles before the marathon, but I never made it. But I, I'm signed up for this thing. I prepaid for this thing. So I'm going to go do it. I'm going to run this 26.2 miles. It didn't go real well. I get to the marathon and I start off, I'm doing, I want to pace myself, right? They have all these different pacing groups and you can follow a guy with a sign and he has this sign and I'm, I, I, I know I didn't get the full training program and I, I wanted to do nine minute average, nine to 10 minute miles. So I find the 1030, you know, and I, I'm going to just try and take it easy and make it to the end of this thing. And, and, you know, they talk about the walls that you hit as you're going through these things and, and different things. And I get to mile 15 and I, I'm coming down this, this exit ramp from a highway and it's pretty crowded. And I'm kind of over to the side trying to stay out of everybody's way in this pace group. And, and I'm over on the edge of the road. And right as I hit this edge of the road, I feel my left ankle kind of give out and feel my knee give out. And just this little, just this little tweak to my left knee. And, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to jog it off and I'm jogging it. And I get probably a half mile further than this. And I mean, it's like a brick wall in my face. I just... I was done, done. And I'm like, I am not quitting. I am not stopping. So I walk and I start walking and then I'm like, okay, I can walk without any pain. And I try to try to run again and, and I can't run. And I'm like, this is the worst feeling ever. And, and they have these little uh, checkpoints, you know, with these uh, tents and everything. And, and there's people sitting under there getting water and, and other things. And then they have these things that if you've been to marathons before, they call the meat wagon. It's called the ride of shame. And uh, I was on the meat wagon taking the ride of shame from 16 miles out on the course. That was my marathon training experience and marathon attempt experience. All that to be said, what we're finding here in Philippians is, is this idea of perseverance. Paul is encouraging and, 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 and pushing the church in Philippi to press in, to press on in the, the walk of righteousness, of pressing into the Lord. He's, he's just really over and over and over again, you're, you're hearing this, even from last week and the weeks before, Paul is entreating us. He's saying, go after Jesus. If you really want to last, if you really want to make it through this life, if you really want lasting joy found, you got to find it in Jesus. And it's, it's going after him day after day after day. This Christian journey of joy isn't a sprint. It's not a hundred meter sprint. It is a lifelong pursuit, lifelong marathon of relationship and pursuit of Christ. Now, there's some key phrases we have here in Philippians chapter 3, the second half, 12 through 21. These key phrases, this is press on. You're going to hear Paul say, press on. And going after, reaching for, it's this straining for, reaching for righteousness. Paul wants us to finish the race well. 
Man, there's some really, really good stuff in here. Really good stuff. It feels like as I was studying it this past week, it feels like as we've gone through Philippians, Paul has given us so many things, so many really good things. And, and here we're coming to the end. We're kind of turning the corner. And, and he's, like, he's like throwing everything in on us. And the kitchen sink, he's like, man, I want you guys to do well. And it's just throwing all this stuff in here for us. So what we're going to get today is a really practical, really applicable piece uh, of walking out our relationship with Christ. So I'm, if you can't tell, I'm a little excited about today's scripture. A little excited about uh, Philippians 3. So um, well, let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word today. And, and Father, we just say that we believe it. We trust you, God. Uh, we have our own ideas. We have our own understandings. God, we want to put all of that aside. We want to throw all of that away. We want um, to read your word and hear your truth and allow your Holy Spirit to move on our hearts to reveal the truths of your word that it would change us and grow us. God, help us to be a people that don't just hear your word, but be a people that do your word. God, we want to walk in relationship with you. So for all of us here, me included, God, help us to be a people that do your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so here we are, Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Go ahead, you can underline that press on if you want to. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, there it is, that straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And here's one of the worst chapter breaks ever in our Bible, because it got to go on here. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. God's word for us today. All right. I want to start by pulling something out here right from the beginning of the text in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So the first little note you can make in your program today is this or in your Bibles. We all need Jesus. If Paul is, is saying here that man... I don't, I don't consider that I've obtained this. 
I haven't arrived yet. If the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament is willing to be honest with us and, and come to us and say, man, I just, I don't, I don't got it all. I fall short. I've got some things I'm dealing with. I, I'm, I, I'm pressing on. I, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. By the grace of God, I'm, I'm going after this. Is, if he's going to say that, what we take away is, you know what? We all need Jesus. And if we have Jesus, which we do, we all need more of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We all need more of who he is. We need to come to a deeper understanding of, of the work that he did on the cross. We have to come to a, a deeper understanding of how he walked this earth. We need to look into the Old Testament that the God who, who is in the Old Testament is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. We, we need to learn more about him and grow in him. We need to, to, to focus on this, to meditate on this, and to memorize it. Let it permeate our hearts. Let it permeate our lives and change us. We have to walk in relationship with God. I, I love how Paul is so honest here. Man, I love it. I mean, he's just like, he just puts it out there. Man, I'm, I struggle. There's no masquerade. There's no mask he's wearing. He's not coming across like, oh, you of little faith, you have no idea who God is, but I do. I've got it perfect. I've got it all figured out, but... I'll just come down to your level and try and help you. No, he doesn't do that. He says, I need to grow. I need to grow. So I press on. It's hard work. But by the power of God and the Holy Spirit in me, by his grace, I press on straining, straining towards righteousness. I love how, how Paul is so honest. It's hard to be honest, isn't it? It's hard. Paul is so convinced of the work of Jesus on the cross that he's willing, willing to be honest. We are all in desperate need of a Savior. It's a level playing field. And I don't care where you've been or what you have done. I want you to know that the work that Jesus did on the cross is stronger, is better, and is enough for any failure or sin we have committed. Paul is so convinced of that truth that it has given him confidence to share his weakness. To be honest. If we truly believe the gospel and truly trust God's direction for our lives, why do we live in hiding? Why do we live in hiding? Why do we wear masks? Why do we wear masks? You know, growing up, we went to church every Sunday, and there were four of us kids. I had an older sister and two younger brothers. I was somewhat of an instigator, being that second child, you know, tormenting my older sister and, and trying to get my brothers to do things they shouldn't. And so getting us all ready for church was somewhat of a challenge. And um, God bless my mom and dad for, you know, working hard at getting us to church. 
All you parents out there going through that season of having young kids that are hard to corral and get here on Sunday mornings, I want you to know, when I went through Sunday school as a young kid, I still remember all those Bible stories. Remember them all. And man, have they impacted my life. The work that you're doing, getting your kids here to church, and what they're learning in our, our kids' area is life-changing, and it lasts. So, so don't grow weary in doing good. Work, work for that, and, and it, it pays off. But anyways, we were, um, we were hard to corral. I'm not going to lie to you. We were pretty rough. And um, I remember we would, it would get to where Holly was in the bathroom for two and a half hours doing her hair and makeup, and nobody else could get into the one bathroom that we had. And there was all these arguments happening, and there was everything going on. And, and we're in the car, but we can't find my youngest brother, Isaac, who was out in the woods somewhere trying to find squirrels or whatever. And, and we finally get him crowded in the car. We're running 10 minutes late, and Dad's flying down the highway. I have no idea how fast he's going. You know, we finally get to the church, and we're arguing. I'm pulling Holly's hair, and I'm trying to get Aaron to throw some trash out the window to see what would happen. And we're doing all this stuff, and Dad's yelling, and, you know, Mom's yelling back at the kids. And, the, you know, we're arguing, and we, you get to the church church, you pull up to that, that drop-off area, the elders or deacons are standing there, and they open the door, and we're, you know, arguing. As soon as that door opens, complete silence. How are you today, Mrs. Halp? Oh, we are blessed. We are blessed. So good to be here. We, we just, we just love coming to church every Sunday. Right, right? We come in, and life's perfect, right? How's life today? Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. What would life look like if we actually answered those types of questions honestly? What would it look like? Why do we wear the mask? Why are we, why are we unwilling to be transparent and honest? What is it that holds us back? I think there's a small piece of every one of us that doesn't believe everything in here. I mean, if, if, I, if I really believed that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, in control of, of everything around us, that, that we are, are a part of His greater, glorious plan, that he's, he's active in my life, and He's growing me, and He's changing me. If I really believe that, why would I be so hesitant to be honest? Because the, the very work that God is doing in me, in my weaknesses, in my failures and faults, that very work is a glory of God, His Holy Spirit active in my life. Why would I hesitate to share it? If I really believed it. You see, when we believe the gospel, when we believe what God's doing in our lives, it gives us freedom. It gives us freedom. We don't have to wear the mask anymore. We don't have to parade around like our life's perfect. Because it's not. Even Paul admits it. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of trust in God, the beauty of sanctification and the work that God, only God can do in our lives. What a powerful truth that we find. Paul is authentic. And you know what? We are craving authenticity. Our culture is craving authenticity. We're not looking for something fake, something perfect. I mean, it'd be nice, 
What we're looking for is something real, something tangible, something unfiltered. Real relationships that go beyond surfacey shallowness of what has become normal conversation and relationship. That's one of the things I love about Mission View Church. The community groups, most of you here today are involved in community groups where we do life together, where we, we open God's word and, and read it and talk about it. And then we share. We're willing to, to open up and maybe share some hard things that we're going through or, or maybe even some of the struggles we're having that we'd actually be vulnerable with one another and trust each other with those and those, those things so deep inside of us, those struggles, that's real relationship. That's what God's calling us to. You see it all throughout the New Testament, throughout as the churches were being planted, that, that they, they shared with one another, walked with one another, had real relationship. You know, we, we live in a culture that hides behind Facebook profiles, hides behind Instagram pictures. And we try and paint a picture of ourselves that is not even human. I mean, you see, some, you know, look at somebody's Instagram picture and, man, the guy looks like a model from GQ. Then you meet him in person, you're like, oh, wow. Cameras, <laughs> cameras are amazing. This guy doesn't have it all together. We say things on social media we would never say to somebody's face. You look at somebody's post and they'll just, they'll just bleh all over Facebook about whatever or whoever it is. No face-to-face -face communication at all. We hide behind these things. You know what? We say things on Facebook we need to say to people's faces. Now, kindly and love Amen, right? Speak the truth in love. But we're unwilling to have these hard, real conversations. Man, I, I love technology. I'm a huge tech nerd, like geek out big time, super geek. Just admit it. But we, we, this technology has taken us away from the face-to-face, -face, doing life together relationship that, that this talks about all the time. We just go to Netflix, we go to YouTube, we go to Facebook and disappear. I mean, there's great things that technology brings us. Here's how bad it's gotten. Apple has actually come out with an app that's on all their new devices and on the, the new iOS system, and it's called Screen Time. You know why they have it? Because they have been told and found out that Americans are spending so much time on their phone that psychologists have come in and said, this is extremely unhealthy. We have to find a way to fix this. People are spending way too much time on their iPhones and Apple Watches and everything else. We have to, this is extremely unhealthy. We have to fix this. Apple actually came up with software built into their stuff to help us stay out of their stuff. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm serious. This is, re this is real. I just, got a, I just got a notification this morning on how much time I'd spent on Facebook. I'm like, why am I getting this notification? It's called, it's called screen time. 
This is how much it's taken us away from real relationship. That the people who are selling this stuff are telling us to stop using it. <laughs> it is laughable. No, let's laugh because that is, that is laughable. Ridiculous. Here's what we need to do. We need to have more Matthew 18 principle conversations. Matthew 18. Turn with me in the Bible real quick. We're going to take a little sidetrack here because it's so valuable. Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults. I'm starting in verse 15. I hear pages ruffling. I'll stop and wait. It's good. I love it. I love it. Get in our Bibles. We'll read this stuff. All right. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Step one. So this is step one. Go to them just one-on-one. Go to them one-on-one. And it's, let's just get real practical with this. Anytime we're dealing with sin that's been committed against us, we need to remember that we have to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brother's eye. You know, you know why he said it that way? Because before we can address sin in a brother or sister in Christ, we have to think that we're a bigger sinner than they are. My sin is bigger than their sin. I have a log. They have a splinter. That's what the Bible says. Now, that's the hard part. Because when somebody sins against me and hurts my feelings, boy, it feels like a log. Like they've just leveled me. Like they just threw a tree, rolled it right over me, and I'm a pancake on the pavement burning up. It feels like it was a log. But what God's telling us to do is we need to view sin how he views sin. There's no big sins and little sins, not these minor ones and these big ones, but all sin, all sin separates us from God. All of it's awful. So we need to view sin as he views it. And so, so when I think about the sins that this brother has committed against me, I have to really start to believe that, you know what? We're all sinners. I'm a sinner too. In fact, my sin is like a log and their sin is like a splinter. Only then can we, we go to our brother one-on-one. -on -one. Think about how that changes how we approach somebody. If I'm actually believing that my sin is bigger than their sin, I'm not going to them, hey, you remember what you did to me? I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do. I've got to confront you one-on-one. -on -one. But you really messed up. I would never do anything like that. I am so much better than you. But I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do. And, and you need to repent. And you need to ask for my forgiveness. That's not, that is not what the Bible's telling us to do here. It would look more something like this. Hey, man, do you remember last week, Thursday night, we were at community group, and this is really hard for me. I'm sorry, but and I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying you're a bad person or anything. We all, we all do things and say things we regret. And, and I, maybe I perceive this wrong, but I just want to clarify with you. When you said that I was the worst person ever born, <laughs> I mean, that really hurt me. 
Is that really what you meant? That's a lot different. Now, I made a joke there, but that's a lot different than the other way, right? I'm actually trying to believe that my sin is bigger than their sin. Now, this biblical principle is like a three-step principle, four-step principle, but if we actually did this principle the way we're called to do this principle, I think 99 out of 100 times we'd never make it past the first step because it would work. We would have healthy relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's go on before I just, you know, go too much here. But if he does not listen, step two, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let him be to you as a Gentile. And now here's where I think we misinterpret this just a little bit. Let him be to you like a Gentile or a tax collector. A non-believer. Someone who's not in relationship with God. How, how do we treat, how do we treat people that, that are not walking in relationship with the Lord? Or are acting out sinfully even when they're walking with the Lord? How does the Bible tell us to treat them? Kindness and love. Grace and mercy. Now, do, do we stop telling them truth? Do we, do we just let them get away with what they've done and everything else? No. No, we... Here's what it comes down to. We have to be more concerned about our brothers and sisters' relationship with Christ than I am about my own ease of life or my own happiness. If we're going to do this right, we have to be, my heart has to break. It has to break for my brother or sister in Christ who's, who's gone off the deep end and said and done harmful things to others and to themselves. That's the heart of what real relationship looks like. Let's jump back to our text. You know, a little rabbit trail there. When we really trust God and believe the gospel, we are set free from the masquerade and can be vulnerable and honest, just like Paul is here. And then we can have those real conversations, those relationship-building conversations. Let's continue on. Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So a little note that you can make on the side here from this section is that we strain toward righteousness. We strain toward righteousness. This is an idea of forward thinking, that we're really going forward, forgetting. He starts out by saying, forgetting what lies behind. This can be one of the hardest things we work through. Now, here's the good news in this. 
That the Bible says that when we repent of our sin and turn from them, we ask for God's forgiveness. The Bible says this, that God chooses to remember our sin no more. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. That's a great news for us today. Here's a problem with that. God has perfect control of his memory. So if he says he chooses not to remember it anymore, it is completely gone. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect. He can do whatever he wants. He has perfect control of his memory. If he takes something out of his memory, as if it had never happened. Great news. Bad news. You and I are not God. Right? I don't have perfect control of my memory. I, anybody else here have this problem? Man, I remember everything I've done wrong like it was yesterday. I look back at those things and, and I struggle. Man, I, I, I don't want to live in the past. I don't want to hold on to those things, man. I know that the Bible says that, that God has created me anew, that he's given me a new heart, that he's growing me, and that he has changed me so much from who I was. My wife calls me the new Matt. There's a new Matt that God did a work in me. Man, and then we have this, this guy called the accuser, Satan. You know, he's like, he's always out there reminding us of all the things we've done wrong, pointing out all our faults. So he goes before the Lord, look at Matt, he's such a failure. And I think sometimes he's just like yelling in our ears sometimes, bringing these terrible things up. We have to work through this process. Matt Chandler said this. I really enjoyed how he said this. The victory of yesterday was given to you by the grace of yesterday. Today comes with a grace of its own. His mercies are new every morning, like manna delivered to you just in time. Yesterday's grace is inadequate in the face of today's struggles. We have to quit living in the past. We have to start looking to tomorrow and trusting what God's word says. Believing we are who he says we are. So many, so many times I hear people say, man, I know that God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. You know, that's true. You cannot forgive yourself. You don't have authority to. The other side of that statement is a poor view of the cross. When I say I can't forgive myself, what I'm really saying is Jesus' sacrifice wasn't good enough for me. We are saying my sin is bigger. My sin is stronger than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We are elevating ourselves above God. Sadly, it's a form of pride. I believe what I think or feel rather than what God's word says. It's time we start living like who God says we are. We are forgiven. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus if you're giving him your tomorrow, if you've surrendered to him, we are new people. 
new. You are who God says you are. We don't have to live in yesterday. Here's why this is so important. It's because we can't do what Paul is saying here until we believe this. Until we believe it. You cannot press on into tomorrow if you're drowning in the past. Drowning in the past. Now, not just this, this looking back, this forgetting what lies behind. It's, I, when we think about that statement, we think about our failures or our weaknesses. But have you ever met somebody that's living in the victories of 15 years ago? That's, I mean, that's it. Oh, man, you remember, man, when we went to that church conference, man, 15 years, that was the best. That was awesome. What's happened since, oh, man, when we went to that, like, we can latch on to some of those things and, and live in the past, even if it was a good thing. Not that we have to forget about it or just totally disregard it, but we can't live there. God has something more for us. We can't explore the glories and goodness of God in, in one instant. He is always revealing more of himself to us. There is so much more that God has for us. We can't live in our failures of yesterday, but we can't live in our victories of yesterday either. We kind of end up looking like this guy. Show that, show that video here real quick. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. Ah! What the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. I better go. Oh. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Yeah, if coach would have put me in fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro in a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soul. I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything like time travel? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. Right on. Right on. Time travel's the answer, right? Oh my gosh. We don't want to live, we don't want to end up like Uncle Rico. We can't live in the past. God has something more, something better for us. It's not healthy to build a monument to our sin or our success and worship at the altar of our past. 
How do we press on to make it our own? This is the hard work, the pushing through the wall to the second wind on that long run. It's the refocusing after a double bogey. It's getting up early enough to read the Bible before work or staying up long enough to pray together as a family. It's coming to church even after an unbelievably exhausting week or going to community group even in the midst of chaotic family schedules. So many times we look to the wrong things to recharge our batteries. Recreation and entertainment can be good things, but we have trained ourselves to use these things to be the rest or relaxation that we need. It takes training. Paul's talking about training ourselves to find peace, rest, and relaxation in Christ. And it takes practice. Pressing in. Pressing on. You know, I didn't always enjoy reading. Didn't always enjoy reading. In fact, I hated reading. I couldn't stand reading. And I was one of those guys in high school that was always looking for cliff notes, always talking to somebody who was taking notes from what they said about the book that we were supposed to have read for whatever was going on. And I remember when I first went into ministry, the senior pastor I was working with, Jim Bricker, he says to me, he goes, Matt, leaders are readers. He says, if you really want to get to the point in your life where God is calling you, you got to read. And he's like, I'm not just talking about a chapter of the Bible a day. He says, leaders are readers. I remember the first time I sat down to read a book. I'm super ADD. <laughs> super ADD. I, I sit down to read this leadership. I forget which one. I was like the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership or something. Something, you know, just kept me on the edge of the seat, right? But anyways, I start to read this leadership book. I didn't last seven minutes. I look up at the clock. I'm like going, man, this has had, I'm like 45 minutes in this thing or whatever. It was like five minutes. I'm reading through this thing and I'm just like, I can't do this. But I was like, I am going to do this. You know, I, I, am, gonna, I am going to sit here for 15 minutes. I'm not moving. I'm not stopping reading. I'm going to read for 15 minutes. And I force fed myself the first chapter of the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And it was awful. It was terrible. I didn't remember a thing I read. I didn't know what the author was taught. John Maxwell, I was clueless. The next day, I get up early in the morning again. I open up the 21 Irrefutable Laws. I read that same chapter. 15 minutes, I'm not getting up out of that seat. The next day, Actually, actually, the second day, I remembered what was going on. I started underlining things, and I, I kind of got a grasp for what was going on. Second day, or third day, reading again. Next chapter. 15 minutes. Next day. Sit down, read. I look up at the clock, and I've been reading for 20 minutes. I'm like, ooh, I'm doing good. I read, and I get into this schedule where I get up in the mornings, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading books. The next thing I know, I can sit and read for an hour. It takes work. It takes practice. That, that we, we practice watching sitcoms. We practice watching movies. We practice watching videos on YouTube. And then we pick up the Bible and we wonder to ourselves why it's not fulfilling. Why it's not life-giving. It's because we've trained ourselves to feed on other things. And we have to train ourselves. This is what Paul's getting at. This is the heart of what Paul's saying. Pressing on, straining towards, working towards. It's the grace of God 
very, the very grace of God working in us. That we train our minds on righteousness. It takes practice or pressing on. Pressing on is moving forward in the things God calls us to, even when we don't feel it. Emotions like joy and peace and excitement follow obedience. It's not the other way around. Let me say that again. That's good stuff here. <laughs> Where was it? Okay. Emotions, joy, peace, and excitement follow obedience. It's not always the other way around. Me and Janelle first get married. And... Um, one of the chores around the house I hated doing was vacuuming. And it, partially because I had a really terrible experience as a kid. <laughs> I was, uh, uh, we were, my grandparents had a, uh, a lake house on Indian Lake, and I stayed uh, after one weekend with them to help clean the, uh, um, the lake house. And I remember I vac that my job was to vacuum. I vacuumed the whole thing kind of half-heartedly, you know, just going through each room, and man, my grandfather just lit into me. And I remember what he said to me. He goes, Matt, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right the first time. Oh, but man, he just lit into me. And so I was, I never wanted to vacuum after that because, you know, so we get married and, you know, all the household chores and, and serving my wife. I wanted to serve my wife. You know, uh, the Bible says, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for the church. So husbands, we give our lives for our wives, right? So I, I wanted to serve my wife. It wasn't always like this. It took us, me a long time to get there. I was a slow learner. But anyways, years into the marriage, I'm wanting to serve my wife well. And um, I'm sitting after just reading, you know, did my morning readings and everything else. And I'm on my day off on a Friday. And God's like, yeah, why don't you vacuum the house? I'm like, I don't want to vacuum. I, I know that'd be nice. That'd be... And I know it was the Lord because that thought that crossed my mind, I would never think that, right? That's when you kind of know it's God, you know, He's pushing you to do something. It's something you never think of. So, um, so I'm thinking, oh gosh, I really hate vacuuming. I don't want to vacuum. All right, I'll vacuum. So I get the vacuum cleaner out and I vacuum the house and I'm done with it. I'm just like, oh, whatever. And I'm, I'm you know, you, she, Janelle comes home from work or whatever and she doesn't even notice. She doesn't even notice. I'm like, why did I even do this? Well, because I love the Lord. That's why I did it. And you know, I, I want to do it for the right reasons. I'm not, I'm doing it to serve my wife because Christ is working in me. And this is, this is for me and my relationship with the Lord. So the next Friday comes around, I vacuum the house. And I get done with it. I'm not, I'm not, at this point, I'm not worried if Janelle notices. I get done vacuuming. I look around. I'm like going, this is good vacuuming. Did really good. And I kind of feel good. Well, the next Friday rolls around and I'm vacuuming. I love vacuuming. I love vacuuming. To this day, I love vacuuming. In fact, I love vacuuming so much. We went to Walmart when we came to move here and I, I saw this vacuum. And I started coveting this vacuum. I mean, this vacuum was amazing. It, it, it was light. It, had, it would never clog. I mean, the developers, it had this cyclone effect. It would never clog, and it emptied by one hand. You could just empty it right into your trash can. This vacuum was amazing. I looked at Janelle, I said, babe, can I buy this vacuum? And she's like, are you sick? I was like, I've been using this vacuum for 10 years. I, I don't think it works real good, but look at this. This thing is top of the line. This, this will change my life. And I bought that vacuum. 
And I love that vacuum. And I liked it so much, I bought the small one that you can hand, you know, go around with your hand. That's embarrassing, okay. <laughs> That's too far, isn't it, Mike? He's over there shaking his head. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, the point is that as we're obedient to Christ, as we do what he calls us to do, he changes us. He changes us. He it does what only God can do, and he changes our hearts. Praise God that he can do that. So here's my challenge to you this week. Do one thing this week consistently that you don't enjoy doing and do it out of love for Christ and obedience to his word and see what happens. See what happens. Continuing on, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So here's your note you can write for this one, is that look to those whose lives reflect what the Bible teaches. Look to those whose lives reflect what the Bible teaches. Now, this is a really hard one because, like I said earlier, we love to walk around in masks and not being truly honest, not being vulnerable with one another. So it's, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. We Because we can fake it, man. We can fake it. We can make our lives. Just like when my family would pull up and drop off at church and there's chaos in the car. As soon as that door opened, complete silence and, oh, we're blessed. We're so glad to be here. This is easy to fake. So this takes some research and investment in, in talking to other Christians who, you know, have trusted resources. Look to those whose lives reflect what the Bible teaches, not just on the surface level, but a deep down level. Here's what I always tell people. You want to know what kind of man I am? You want to know who I am? Don't ask me. Ask my wife. She sees me when I'm hungry. She sees me when I'm tired. She cares for me when I'm sick. She knows exactly what kind of man I am. It's easy. I, it would be easy for me to come here and stand up here and fake some type of whatever. I'm not about that. We have, all have weaknesses. I have failures and weaknesses. So we have to really dive in and look at guys like John Piper, who've preached for over 30 years, whose church has grasped the word. And you see lives, not just John Piper's life, but his church's life, Bethlehem, that church full of people whose lives have been changed and are walking in the word. Trusted resources of people who value God's word above all other things and are living like it. Then talk to some leaders who've done that type of research. Who are we trusting to give us good counsel? And I remember a book that came out a few years ago. Well, it's been a lot of years ago. It was called Velvet Elvis. And I was a worship director at the time. And the worship leader was eating this book up. And I, I bet you I had seven or eight copies given to me for free. There are all these words like, you got to read this, man. It's awesome. I remember picking up that book. And I read the first five chapters of that book and just threw it in the trash. 
There was no substance whatsoever. It was full of questions. Dumb questions. I would read that book and set it down and just be completely confused. No substance. No scripture. There was no scripture at all. And if there was scripture, it was taken totally out of context. I'm going, first of all, that's a red flag, okay? If you ever read a book and it has like really short scripture and it, the scripture is just to make a point that the author's already talked about, you probably should just throw the book away. Great books are written out of scripture and explain scripture, not the other way around. That, that's just a red flag. But anyways, so I'm reading through this and I'm just, I toss it in the trash. It was Rob Bell. Right? If you haven't heard of him, he's from Michigan. He had a church up there called Mars Hill. And shortly after Velvet Elvis came out, he came out with a book called Love Wins, where he says there's no hell. And then shortly after that, he comes out with another book. I don't even remember the name of it, but talking about how we've totally misunderstood the Bible. And basically, he gets to the point where sin doesn't really exist. And all of us, everybody on the planet is going to heaven. Which is not what this book says. At all. At all. It's not even close. But we have to look towards trusted resources and talk to, to people who've done the research and, and look at these, these authors' lives. You know, don't just trust what's written right in the back of the book. Even those we trust need to be filtered through the scriptures. I love John Piper. I love John MacArthur. I love Matt Chandler as well. I like Paul Tripp. I, Jerry Bridges and Jay Adams. Wayne Grudem and others, but I don't just trust their opinion. I, I open the word and read what they've read, and I pray over what they talked about. Does it ring true to what Scripture says? What are they teaching about? Is it how to get God to fill your bank account or give you a bigger house or a fancy car? Is their focus of their teaching on worldly treasure? Or are their minds set on earthly things, as our, our text says today in verse 19? Trust God's word. Weigh it against God's word. Continue on in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love, let's really read this. Let's really take it in. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it... From it, our citizenship is in heaven, and from there, from there, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Number four, we have a heavenly citizenship. Now this is good news. No wonder Paul can have joy while he's locked up in chains 800 miles away from the church in Philippi. He has joy because he understands who we are. Citizens in heaven, from that understanding, from that place, we await a Savior who's coming again one day. Amen? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Even now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and I, preparing a place for you and I. Man, I loved preaching this text. We had a, the church I came from, we had uh, four services every weekend. One of those services was a traditional service that met at our traditional building downtown. 
I think the average age of that service around 78 years old. Now, you say something like that to a room full of Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians, and you'll see some older people jumping around. They couldn't sit still in their seats. We have a Savior coming back for us one day. That's the truth. That's the reality that we live in. And it could be today. It could be this afternoon. It could be tonight. It could be next week. It could be next year. We don't know. But Jesus is coming back. We have a heavenly citizenship. So live like it. Live like it. From it we await with holy anticipation of Christ's promises fulfilled in our lives. Man, Charles Spurgeon wrote this book called Faith's Checkbook. I love how he says this. He says, often when we are racked with pain and unable to think or worship, we feel that this indeed is the body of our humiliation. And when we are tempted by the passions which rise from the flesh, we do not think the word vile at all too vigorous a translation. Our bodies humble us, and that is about the best thing they can do for us. Oh, that we were duly lowly because our bodies ally us with animals and even link us with the dust. But our Savior, the Lord Jesus, shall change all this. We shall be fashioned like his own body of glory. This will take place in all who believe in Jesus. By faith, their souls have been transformed and their body, bodies will undergo such a renewal as shall fit them for their regenerated spirits. How soon this grand transformation will happen, we cannot tell. But the thought of it should help us to bear the trials of today and all the woes of the flesh. In a little while, we shall be as Jesus now is. No more aching brows, no more swollen limbs, no more dim eyes, no more fainting hearts. The old man shall be no more a bundle of infirmities, nor the sick man a mass of agony. Like unto his glorious body, what an expression. Even our flesh shall rest in hope of such a resurrection. Amen? Amen. All right, just a couple quick things as we're closing here. Things I wanted to pull out of the scripture today. Just some warnings that Paul gives us really clearly. First warning, paying attention to unbiblical teachers who brag about sinful things. Don't pay attention to unbiblical teachers who brag about sinful things. Gluttony or the overindulgent even in good things. Don't lose sight of the end goal. The warning of losing sight of the end goal. A warning against focusing on past failures or successes. And a warning against not doing the hard daily work. Now here's the encouragements. We need to look to those whose lives reflect what they teach or what the Bible teaches. We keep our eyes on what Christ has done in our lives, not what we have accomplished in our lives. Remember the promise and keep the gospel in front of you always. Look to eternity 
and the new glorious body that is promised. And these things can help us stand firm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And um, God, I just pray that we would be able to latch on to these truths. God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us that only you can do. And we just offer this time up to you and say, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.